I'm at you know, point Z with this fully developed thought, and I go, okay, I want to try to explain this to some people. And I go, okay, let's start back at point A so it actually makes sense and has application. So uh, that, a little bit of this is that, and, and I'm not saying that so you'll be bored for the next half an hour. I, I'm just saying that just to, just to let you know how I feel sometimes because I'm trying to work through some things. So I don't think you'll be bored. I think it's pretty cool. But um, anyway, so that's that. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5. Rachel, you're really going to love this, by the way. We are. We're, this is the Lord. The Lord is speaking about this, I think. She had a little encounter with the Lord this week about the subject of humility. Now, I had this little encounter with the Lord about the subject of meekness. In a minute, you'll find out that there's the exact same thing. And um, so, yeah, she was, how did Jamie say it? She said, you were getting worked <laughs> on Friday. She was just in tears, and the Lord was just, just brooding over her, Rachel, that is. So don't mean to tell all your business to everybody, but now I have. So there you have it. <laughs> Okay, for the tape, that's Rachel Seibel I'm speaking to. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Matthew chapter 5. Let's, hear, let's look at these first several verses. Seeing the multitude, Jesus, he went up on a mountain. And he was seated. Uh, and, that, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. And say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isn't that interesting? You know, it's just, um, to me, the Bible is so full. You just read it slow and you go, man, he just said, like, be excited about the fact when people talk badly about you behind your back, even if it's not true and they're talking stuff. He goes, be excited about it. Like Jesus. <laughs> okay. I want to focus on the first, on, on verses 3 to 6. There's, uh, there's four uh, there that I'm bunching together. And here's, here's the deal. There are nine B attitudes. This, at least my, this, I'm not going off of what we learned in Sunday school when we were eight. I'm talking about what I'm seeing here, the blessed R's. There's nine of them. The way I'm looking at it, I used, to, I used to look at it like this, that each one of them was independent of the next. Anybody ever thought of it that way? Like, do you ever see the chart you know, or whatever, when you're younger in Sunday school, whatever, and it said, the be attitudes. They're attitudes that you want to be. And then they had, be this way, be this way, right? And as I was looking at this, um, the one that really got me this week was uh, blessed are the meek. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Because, you know, it's funny, you think Jesus is 
um, coming up with really cool stuff, and then you find out he's just quoting the Old Testament, <laughs> which is, blessed are the meek, he's just quoting the Old Testament. Psalm 37. Not a bad place to quote, if you're going to quote something. We do it all the time. But uh, as I was looking at it, I, I came to realize that th- these are not all independent attitudes, one from another. There's, there's like three little groupings here. And, and the first four, blessed are the poor in spirit, unto blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's one grouping. And then blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. That's another grouping. And then the last grouping is the persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And blessed are you when you're persecuted. And I was looking at that, I was going, that's very interesting, because I never thought of it that way. I always thought of it a little different. I always thought of it as like nine different people. Like you got the one guy, and he's a peacemaker. You got the other guy, he's merciful. You got the other guy, he's pure in heart, or whatever. You got, you know, this guy, and he's meek. But what I realize is that he's actually got really like three different states or attributes, I guess you could say. And the first four are all around this, this whole thing about poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Now, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about being poor in spirit, do we? You know, poor in spirit isn't one of those, you run around the room, I'm poor in spirit, hallelujah. But it is. And you'll see, it really is. It's, I mean, it's awesome. The whole poor in spirit thing. It's really good. So we're going we're gonna to look at this. And I want to I want to take those uh, verse three to verse six and, and move through it, and then we're going to move into some other things. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Think about this: for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have you have a, a pronouncement of a blessing, and then you have a reward that's attached to that attitude or attribute or state of being. And 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 what I think this heading is is poor in spirit. He's trying to identify. Um, a person that has a revelation, a certain kind of revelation. It's a revelation about being poor in spirit. And I, see that right there? When we think of poor in spirit, we don't, we don't really know what that means. Like, first look, that might mean like, like somebody's poor in spirit. I might think, well, they're kind of sad. They're just like poor in their spirit. <laughs> not joyful, unhappy. It's not what it means at all. Poor in spirit has, has nothing to do with that. That word, the, the word poor, it's a, it's a strong, strong word. And uh, it, it literally means impoverished. It literally means bankrupt. It's, it's the person that asks alms. That's the word that's used. It's, it's below the poverty line. So he says, he goes, blessed is that person. And then the, the word spirit is just the same word we use all over the New Testament for spirit. It's the pneuma. It's the same Greek word for spirit. And he goes, so blessed is the, the person who is absolutely impoverished under, under being a beggar spiritually. I was going, huh. It's interesting. So you're saying, if I'm spiritually like a beggar, he said, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Poor in spirit. See, poor in spirit isn't something you want to get the remedy for. 
poor. See, when we see blessed are the poor, you know, those who are poor in spirit, we go, oh, well, I don't want to be poor. I want to be rich. I want to be rich in my spirit. He goes, no, you really don't. He goes, you want to have a mentality of, of you know, you're just hungry in your spirit. You're, just, you're literally beggarly. You're, you're aware of your need without God. That's poor in spirit. That's what poor in spirit is. Somebody said, well, when Jesus died on the cross, uh, you know, I became rich because he became poor. Absolutely true for sure. Definitely. You inherited and received, uh, for no reason of your own earning, amazing things that make you absolutely rich spiritually and even uh, monetarily or whatever the word is, physically, beyond your wildest imagination. I mean, what Christ bought in his death and burial and resurrection is, is beyond the scope of what your brain has even captured yet. He goes, but there's an attitude that you, that if you'll carry the attitude, if you'll carry the, the, this thing as a scope in your life, he goes, there's a massive blessing uh, attached to it, and there's, the, the kingdom is yours as a result of this, of this way of being. That's really what it is. He's identifying a way of being. It's called poor in spirit. It's called a recognition of your own bankruptcy. It's called knowing you're barren. That's what it's called. It's called coming face to face with the fact that you can lay your hand on a thousand heads and, and rub all the hair off all those heads and you got nothing. Nothing will happen. Not one person will get healed of your own abilities. Impossible. It's coming to the recognition that you make a terrible God. That the best you can make of your life at the end of the day, the best you can do is destroy yourself. That's porn spirit. When you realize that, not, not being able to destroy your life, because we're all able to do that, but re the revelation that given unto your own devices, you will absolutely just mess it up beyond recognition. You, you can't fix it. Having that revelation, that's porn spirit. The, the, an attitude of porn spirit isn't something you want remedied. You want to realize that until the day that we go see him, or the day he comes and sees us, whichever one it is. You want to have that revelation deep within the bedrock of who you are. I think that's the reason why he goes, okay, come, I'm going to have a little sermon here. I'm going to sit down on this mountain. It's going to be big time. Uh, you know, they're going to call this the Sermon on the Mount. I just know it. I mean... <laughs> Really, this little mountain? Yeah, Jesus, for real, they're really going to write on, about this one. He goes, this will show up a lot. They'll make posters. He goes, I, I'm going to give a few little attitudes I think you got to live by. He goes, they're going to call them the B attitudes. You think so, Jesus? He goes, yeah, I've got ten, like nine, ten little nuggets I'm going to mention. He goes, this is biggie. He goes, let me give you the first heavy one. Be poor in spirit. He goes, recognize you are absolutely bankrupt. You are impoverished without me. He goes, you're barren and it's okay. He goes, it's more than okay. He goes, if you'll realize it, if you'll have a revelation that without me you're lost beyond measure and you can produce nothing positive of yourself. Because if you'll realize that, he goes, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Powerful. Like, you know, a minute ago, none of us want to be poor in spirit. Now we're like, now where's the poor in spirit line again? <laughs> Sign up for that. 
poor in spirit. That's interesting. Impoverished. Bankrupt. It's this. It's when you sit in a prayer room for 30 days, and at the end of 30 days you go, I feel God, but I got nothing. That's what it is. It's the revelation that uh, He's good, and I don't got anything. See, it's not. See, what we do with porn spirits, we try to make it the equivalent of "I once was lost, but now I'm found." You know, and 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 I I come from a faith background, and a lot of our faith teaching would say, "Oh, brother, don't say you're poor. That's a bad confession." I go, "Well, how about bankrupt? That's way worse. How about I'm in poverty? I'm a beggar. Don't confess it, brother. Well, no, you better confess it." I, I guarantee you better make that your confession. See, Jesus rebuked. Well, let's just look at it. Look at Revelations 3. Flip over there. Some of y'all already know where I'm at, know where I'm going with that. But the rebuke that Jesus gave to the Laodiceans. The lukewarm church, the one that you definitely, you know, when you're reading for the first three chapters of Revelation, you, you definitely don't ever want to land in, like, Laodicea. You know, you're like, Philadelphia, scrapping, I love people, you know, I'm trying. You never want them to go, no, really, like, Revelation's three, son, you're going like, oh, definitely not Laodicea. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, totally Laodicea. You go, ow, that's not the one you want. Lukewarm, no good. That, that vomit you out of my mouth, I never liked that. <laughs> that wasn't the quiet time I was hoping for. You know? <laughs> if you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And then look at this in verse 17. He says this, he goes, Because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. He goes, you don't even know. And he goes, you're wretched. I mean, like, this is Jesus getting graphic. He goes, you are wretched. (laughs) You're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus, I'm not naked. He goes, naked. (laughs) He goes, don't you remember, blessed are you, poor in spirit guy? (laughs) That's what he's trying to tell the Laodiceans. He goes, you should have never gone there. You should have never believed that you were self-sufficient. You should have never believed that you could do anything on your own. He goes, it was never about you anyway. And because you believed that, now you're lukewarm. He goes, you got self-sufficient. You thought you attained. You thought you got a little something going and something was happening. Now you got it going on. He goes, and you say you're rich. He goes, no. He goes, you're just as poor now. In fact, you're worse off because you're not even hot. See, we ne- so we don't ever want to get remedied of poor in spirit. We never want to get remedied. Of- we never want to move past poor in spirit. It's not a bad confession. I promise. <laughs> poor in spirit is not a bad confession. When you say, I'm a very needy person, or if you ever do, or if you don't say it, start saying it. And if you do say it, always say it. Always say it. I am a needy person. I'm in greatly in need of God. I'm poor in spirit. He goes, that's right. He goes, it's that attitude. It's that way 
that will cause you to step into the things of the kingdom of heaven. Because you want to you receive the kingdom, you want to manifest the kingdom, start with poor in spirit. Start with it. It's the, it's the beginning. It's the revelation, friend, that you don't got anything. You have nothing without Him. It's amazing how we get a little success and we move past it, isn't it? My favorite is when you just do your gift and people like your gift and then your gift, like, okay, you're doing your gift. Maybe you're a singer. Pick on the singers tonight. You're a singer, so you do your gift, so now you sing. And everybody goes, oh, when you sang... Sounded like the angels. <laughs> so anointed. And you go, really? They go, oh, more than really. You could have a record contract. You're amazing. And they start telling you how cool your gift is. And nobody in this room does it, but here's what people do. They go, man, I am kind of cool. They don't ever say that. They just... Start acting like it. I am kind of cool. I really can sing. I'm a professional. I should be with professionals. And they start, you know, snubbing their nose at anybody that doesn't have as good of a gift or is not as well trained or whatever. And, and it's because they have a gift. You know how dumb that is? That's this. That's me handing my wife a ring and saying, will you marry me? She goes, I don't know. Have you seen the ring? I go, yeah, I gave it to you. She goes, no, 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 this is awesome, and it's mine. I go, yeah, but I gave it to you. People don't measure up to me because of my ring. I go, I gave it to you. It's a gift. It is so yours, but it's so because I gave it to you. And so the singer that gets puffed up because they can sing, all it is is a little thing that the Lord threw to them. And they go, oh, I'm a professional now. I don't, I don't need a model. Oops. Okay, Humphrey. Back. I'm a professional. Da 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 da. That's what I should have said. Sorry. I'm a professional. Da 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 da. I don't need to get with people that are less. And God goes, You're no, you have a gift and I gave you that. You're no better than anyone else. So what? I gave you a little bigger gift. Now I require a little bit more humility. The guy with the little smaller gift, he gets to be with the guy with the little bigger gift. The guy with the little bigger gift, he's got to like work his heart a little bit more because he's got this big old gift that God gave him. But if you can realize and remember it's just a gift, guess what? You're poor in spirit. You'll be just fine. Okay, sorry. I want to be encouraging. I want to be good, you know, be nice to people. So, poor in spirit. Jesus, he rebukes Laodicea because of it. They forgot they were supposed to be poor in spirit. And therefore, he said, you're not even going to enter the kingdom as a result. He goes, I'll spit you out. So then verse 4, he goes, blessed are those who mourn. I need to actually move through these. I'm going to have to actually look. Okay. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. And I started thinking, mourning, huh? You know, mourning is about being sorrowful. It's about being tearful, for sure. But scripturally, mourning is always equated to something else. Anybody know? Fasting. Always. It's always equated to fasting. If you read about mourning, they're always on a fast when they're mourning. You know, they go 70 days when Moses dies, and they're fasting throughout the whole thing. They go seven days when Saul dies. They fast the entire time. You know, David's son dies, and, and David's on a fast. 
Jesus said, you know, uh, where is it? Matthew 9. He goes, Jesus said, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He says, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from it, and then they will fast. And I was just looking at this, and it's interesting the language he uses, because later he goes, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. He goes, blessed are those who mourn. And, he, and I believe he's scripturally equating it to fasting. Not, and not solely fasting, but that aspect of the deal. But it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. And so I was thinking about mourning. What is mourning about? It is about being tearful and sorrowful, but it's, it's biblical mourning includes fasting. I started considering that. What is that? What are you talking? What are you trying to say? Because you're just, you're not simply only talking to people that have had, you know, like a loved one pass or something like that, though I believe it probably applies to those. Like, what are you talking about? And, and he's talking about the longing inside. What is mourning? It's the longing. It's the desire. It's the ache. It's the ache on the inside that goes, oh, it's not right without them. Isn't that right? It's your heart going, oh, ever since they've been gone, I've just, my heart has just been messed up. That's mourning. Jesus said that the friends of the bridegroom will mourn for the bridegroom while he's away. He's talking about a person who recognizes they're spiritually bankrupt unto a mourning and longing heart. A heart that aches with desire. It's a term, faint with desire. Your heart's breaking because you're in mourning, because you long for the bridegroom. You want Jesus so bad, you're literally in a state of mourning. Have you ever been there? You ever been in that place where you're, you know, you're praying, you've been in a season, maybe God's touched for a while, and then uh, there's, a little, there's a little separation, and your heart goes, what is going on? Where are you? He goes, no, 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 just keep coming. You go, ow, this hurts. Divine, we call it divine dissatisfaction, right? That's what he's talking about there. He's talking about the guy that's walking around and his heart is divinely dissatisfied and he aches for an encounter with God. Blessed are those who mourn. Isn't that interesting? It's that person that would even go to that crazy place of not eating. As we come off the Global Bridegroom Fast. Just go eat a steak in Jesus' name. <laughs> but that person would even come, you know, go, go to that place where they say, okay, I, I want you so bad. I'll, I'll even get myself to a place of complete weakness before you. I'm, I'm in mourning for you. I want you, God, so badly. Do you hear my heart is aching? There's desire in me. I've been to that place in prayer several times, you know. You, you, just, you, you start hitting something in God and desire is, is awakened. That's why the, 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 you know, the, the bride in Song of Songs, she goes, don't awaken desire before it's time. She had the mourning heart. She had the heart of mourning for the bridegroom. She goes, don't awaken love before it's time. I've been there a couple times in prayer and my personality is such that it, I, just, I just tend to you know, get a little bit like irked. <laughs> I go from mourning to, ah, you know, like mad. He didn't say blessed are the mad. He said blessed are those who mourn. I go, when are you going to come? He goes, that's right. Just, just, 
just marinate in that. I go, when? How long, oh God? Why should the nations rage? Why should they say, where is their God? You, know, you get to the place where you're just tired of Christianity just being weak. You're just tired of us doing stuff to justify our own existence. I mean, come on. Most of our programs are just a vehicle to justify why we should be here. Make the program prayer and then we'll have a reason to just, you know, that explains why we're here. But most of what we do is about trying to just have a reason to, you know, our next program, our next potluck, our next deal. So we have stuff to do. So we have a reason to say why we're here. Well, we're here because we have all these things we have to do. I got a little edge tonight. I'm so, <laughs> it is a little high on this tonight. There's this, there's this thing that just, it just begins to grab you. Your heart just begins to, to ache. And I, I've been in contact with several guys that, that are literally from around the nation, different places. And they, they're all saying the same thing to me. There's these young men, younger than me, and they go, they go, I want to talk to you. And I go, okay, yeah. And they go, I read an article that you wrote, or I, I heard this message you taught. And then they go, and I'm just looking for somebody who's not trying to, like, be cool to win the world. They go, I'm looking for somebody that wants to manifest something real from God, and my heart is aching for it. And they all say the same stuff. In fact, the, the most recent guy I just met with just recently, I, I, I sat down with him. I go, hey, let me, let me tell you why you want to meet with me. He goes, okay. I go, your heart's aching for something real in God. You desire something so badly, and you're just over trying to be relevant and cool to reach the, the masses. He goes, that's exactly right. I go, I know. It's happening to a bunch of you guys. And their hearts are just aching. What are they? They're the, more, they're the ones that are mourning. They're mourning for the bridegroom. Their hearts are aching. He goes, you know what? If you'll just find yourself in that place of mourning, the divine ache, the itch is alive on the inside, and you just, you just don't know what to do with it, and you just go, God, I've got to have it. He goes, oh, just hang in there. He goes, comfort's coming. Listen to me, person, beloved. You're believing for a revival. You're believing God, for God to visit. You're believing for an encounter. You want to touch him. Your heart's going, <laughs> what's it going to take? He goes, oh, stay right there. Stay up under it. He goes, stay up under it. Stay in that place of poverty in the spirit. He goes, stay right there under it. He goes, mourn. He goes, comfort's coming. It's a great promise of revival. That ache you have on the inside is God-authored. It's a God-authored ache. He authored that. He put it within you and he said, Oh, stay in that place of desire. He goes, because it's the same desire I feel for you. He goes, the way you're aching for me. He goes, I'm aching for you that way too. He goes, let's, let's ache before we comfort. Before we get comforted. I really want to get to the point. This is all the math. I promise. We're going to skip verse 5. We're going to hit verse 6 and come back to verse 5. Because verse 6 works right there with those that mourn. It says, blessed are the, see, it goes right together. Blessed are those who, who mourn. Talking about fasting and the ache and the longing, the mourning heart. And then verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's what he's talking about. You know, comfort. See, here, here's really what it is. 
comfort to the longing heart, the, the comfort to your heart is hope. Comfort to the mourning heart, it's hope. That's what it is. Your heart's in mourning, there's an ache, you go, God, I've got to have you. And God, this city's got to have you. And God, our nation's got to have you. We can't go on like this. And there's this mourning within your heart. He goes, beloved, just, just hope in me. See, hope is expectation. That's what hope is. Hope is really just expectation. I hope. Hope isn't, oh, I hope. He goes, no, no, hope. Expect it. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. When you have expectation, expectation, hope. Hope is expectation. It's the same thing. That's when you move into that faith place. But the mourning heart, it just desires some hope. And then there's these folks that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's so neat. Now think about this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. It is the person, the guy that has the desire. Okay, there's the guy or gal, that's living righteously and they have this desire for God. There's that person for sure. And that scripture definitely applies to that one. The guy that's going, I want God to come. I desire Him to come. My heart is aching. Uh, that, that person for sure fits right in there. A hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But I thought about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's not just hungering for a visitation. I mean, certainly when you know a visitation comes, there will be righteousness, da 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 but he says, no, it's the one that is hunger and thirst for righteousness, for this, for this experience of the holiness of God unto beauty. He goes, it's the person that goes, I want to be beautiful in holiness. See, it is the guy that's living right, but it's, you, know, you know who it really is also? Strongly, the guy that's living wrong. It's the guy right now that's in a hotel room somewhere five minutes from here, who's got his head in his hands and can't believe he's on his 50th relapse. And he's going, God, I want to do right. It's that person too, for real. It's that Christian person that's, you know, they've made some sort of commitment to the Lord, but they don't know how to manage this thing. They don't know how to live this thing. And, and at the end of the day, all they, they pray this little prayer. They go, God, just help. I just don't know. Just help. And in, an, in, an, in a minute, they find their life rearranged. There's, I believe there's coming a divine stirring for righteousness. For real. I mean, like, it's going to hit and it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, like a lightning bolt, run through people. They're going to get sick and tired of being sick and tired in mass. I was trying to picture, picture how are a billion going to get born again? Like, how are a billion really going to get saved? Because in mass, they're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to go, I'm so tired of this. And he's going to go, I have your answer. You shall be filled. Filled with what? Filled with righteousness. Filled with beauty and holiness. You see it? So it's not just for the Christian guy that's hungering for a visitation. It sure is for him. But it's also for the guy that's not living right. It's the guy that's at his end of his rope, and then all of a sudden, the suddenly of God breaks in on his life. It's the guy you're praying for right now, and you're wishing he would come to his senses. You're going, God, would you just bring him to his senses? In a minute, that guy's going to go, oh, I'm at the end of my rope, God. He'll pray a prayer privately that he'd never confess publicly. 
And that's the moment you've got to be praying for. You've got to be praying for that moment of encounter with God where he just quietly goes, Oh, God, help. And God breaks in. The suddenly of God and the lightning of God breaks in. And revelation explodes across the person. And in a minute, I mean, just a matter of days, they're totally different. That's a real thing. It happens a lot. And it's going to happen so much. It's going to happen so often. See, the... the nah, I won't even go there. Okay. Number uh, five, finally we're going. Blessed are the meek. I'm going to work this real quick. Blessed are the meek, for they shall, audacious promise, they shall inherit the earth. Got to be figurative, right? Can't be figurative. I'll tell you why it's not figurative. Because Jesus right there is quoting Psalm 37. It's quoting Psalm 37, verse 11. He only says in Psalm 37 five different times there's this group of people that are going to inherit the earth. Five times. Why would he say it five times figuratively? That just makes zero sense. In fact, if you read Psalm 37, I want to encourage you to go back and read it slowly. It's David, he's talking about days of trouble. And David, as he does so often, he talks about his own circumstance and God gives him the language to explain, you know, prophetically a whole other time and a whole other scheme. And David actually talks about in the days of evil and in the days of famine, God will sustain the righteous. Psalm 37. And there's so many things. There's, there's little phrases in there and read it and study it. There's little phrases in there that do, absolutely do not apply to David. They apply to the end of the age. They absolutely apply to the end of the age. And so Psalm 37, he's talking about this group of people who will inherit the planet. And then Jesus quotes them, and, and they're up under this heading of this, this person who's poor in spirit. It was a recognition of their spiritual barrenness. They have a, a mourning heart of desire. They have a hungering and a longing for beauty and holiness. And they have this thing called meekness. Meekness. It's just a quirky little word. Who uses that word? Nobody. Just today I'm just feeling so, you know, I don't know, just so meek today. It's like nobody ever says that. What is meek? Meek is this. Meek is humility, but it's a little different humility. It's not just, oh, that guy's so humble. It's what it is, it's humility. But it's a result of, it's humility as a result of affliction and poverty. Meekness is the end result of poor in spirit, for real. If you really understand that you're poor in spirit, you really will be meek. It's, I'm afflicted, I'm impoverished, I'm bankrupt, I'm barren spiritually. <sighs> he goes, you're meek. Out of a revelation of poverty, and uh, that the person that's humble out of that revela revelation. So I started looking at this. In James 3, he says this interesting phrase. He goes, who is wise and understanding among you? He goes, let him show by his good conducts, by his good conduct, that his works are done, and he says this phrase, in the meekness of wisdom. James 3.13. He goes, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
See, God is trying to get a class of Christian who is, I mean, just so separated from the me thing. So separated from the big man mentality and, you know, come to my deal. I mean, just so separated from that. That just realizes this, we're all on the same page together, in this thing together. It's really, what this really is, it's, it's a, this is a foundational kind of thought for the nameless, faceless bunch that God's trying to bring up. That's really what this is about. And he goes, I want them to be impoverished in their heart with the revelation of that. He goes, and I want them to be longing and mourning. He goes, and I want them to be humble as a result of it. They don't have to have platform, title, position. They don't have to have their name and lights. They don't have to have any of that mess. They just have to have me. He goes, that's the ones that I'm going to use. Isn't it funny? It's right there in Christianity 101, Sermon on the Mountain. Isn't that bizarre? He goes, so, so, so James uses this phrase, this, the wisdom of meekness and the meekness of wisdom. He's talking about this idea, this quality of life, that has humility mixed with wisdom. And, he, and, he, and he, he says it like this. He goes, there are people who have understanding. He goes, if you really have understanding, he goes, prove it by living a lifestyle of meek wisdom. Let your works show that you make wise decisions out of humility. He uses this, this idea of understanding. And immediately it turned my mind to something. Daniel 11. We quote the scripture all the time, often. Those that know their God shall, shall do great exploits, right? Interesting. Let me just read it. You can look back at it later because I'm a little short on time. But Daniel 11, 32 and 33 says, Those, see, we, 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 we cut off the first part of the phrase. <laughs> Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. And then it says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Interesting context for that people that know their God thing, isn't it? The context is people that do wickedly against Christianity, the covenant. It says he, it's talking about Antichrist, read it in context. Antichrist will corrupt them. He goes, but those who know God will do great exploits. Interesting thing. And James uses this little phrase. He goes, those who have understanding. He goes, let them be uh, wise and meek. And see, Daniel, right there with that, he goes, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt, corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Verse 33 says this, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. There is a whole company, listen to me, there's a whole company of forerunners that God is raising up and his requirement is meekness He goes, because you have to be meek because you can have understanding of the times. He goes, you'll have great exploits. He goes, oh, and you'll have to instruct so many. He goes, the requirement's meekness. And those of un, who, it's so crazy. those of the people who understand shall instruct many, dot, dot, dot. Yet for many days, same verse, for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Somebody goes, I want to be a wise, meek person doing great exploits. I want to instruct many. He goes, yeah, right in the face of martyrdom. Isn't it funny how we just pluck little phrases out of the Bible? I'm going to know God and do great exploits. Ah! He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And those who do that 
will instruct many. He goes, yeah, yeah, good. He goes, and there's many of those guys that are going to fall by the sword. This is real Christianity. (laughs) Why am I on this? Because the whole issue of meekness is tied into understanding. Understanding, there's there's a company that God's raising up with understanding. He goes, but you've got to be meek. I mentioned Psalm 37. I'll just read the, the five verses. He goes, The meek shall inherit in the earth, in verse 11. He goes, And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Verse 9, he says, Evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the earth, verse 22. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the earth and dwell in it forever. Chew on that for a little while. Verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the earth. He's identifying these meek people as righteous, ones that wait on the Lord, those that are blessed of the Lord, and those that keep the way of the Lord. It's, it, it's, the, it's the one, two, three, four, five of meekness. And he goes, your reward is you inherit the planet. The Bible says that we will reign with him. We shall reign with him forever. And then in, in, in Revelation, it says we'll reign with him on the earth. I'm going to give you the planet, meek. <laughs> we thought the, the meek shall inherit the earth was just a cool little thought. No, no. If you're, if you're humble at the end of the age, there's power coming on your life. Here, here's what he's trying to say to you. If you're humble at the end of the age, there's power coming on your life. There's massive revelation. There's understanding coming on your life. He goes, there's the chance of martyrdom coming on your life. But don't worry about that. He goes, I'm going to give you the planet. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's interesting the way the Lord uses this term meek. Isaiah 11, 4, I'll just read it to you. And I want to actually get to the verse I actually wanted to talk about. He goes, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. He goes, and he'll decide with justice, with equity for the meek of the earth. The end of the age, the judgments of God are coming down on the head of those who have come against the humble. He goes, I'll strike the earth with the rod of of my mouth, with the breath of my lips. He, He says, I'll slay the wicked. It's in context to this group, this little humble group. This little humble group. What is that? What is this little humble group of folks? You know, that's the little guys, man, that they don't get all puffed up about their gift, and they just, they just seek me. He goes, and Zephaniah 2 is where we're going. He goes, these little meek guys, they're the ones that actually uphold justice. All right, Zephaniah 2, I'm closing. I've got five minutes to give you this deal. Zephaniah, let me give you the picture. Zephaniah is a prophet. He's prophesying during the days of Josiah. If you remember Josiah, he became king when he was eight. Sixteen, he has an encounter with the Lord. Uh, The priest comes and brings him the book of the Lord. He reads the book, clears out all the high places, reinstitutes the priesthood. They have massive revival until the day he dies. He actually dies an untimely death because he didn't listen to the word of the Lord and actually came out and fought against an army he should have never fought against, dressed himself up as a regular soldier and got shot. But the Bible says all the the days of Josiah's life, he served the Lord. He had, he had a massive revival, one of the greatest revivals in history. And the Lord said, you know what, there's all sorts of uh, judgment coming. He goes, but you know what, Josiah, because you've served me, he goes, I will delay it. 
God delayed the, the Babylonian captivity because Josiah was righteous. God always, he always tends towards mercy. What a cool king. God delays the Babylonian captivity for Josiah. So Zephaniah, in the middle of Josiah's reign, Zephaniah the prophet is prophesying during revival. He and Jeremiah were, were contemporaries. And during revival, and everybody getting right with God and serving God, here's Zephaniah prophesying. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, Gather yourselves together. He goes, gather together, yes. Huh? They're going, what? He goes, yes, gather together. He goes, oh, undesirable nation. Speaking, you know, about the context of Israel's sin over, over the, the ages. He goes, gather together in verse 2. He goes, before the decree is issued. Interesting language. Before the decree is issued. And before the day passes like chaff. He goes, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. He goes, get together and pray. That's what he's saying. Seek the Lord. That's the next, next phrase. Seek the Lord. And then he goes, hey, all of you that are meek. So cool. All you meek. And it's always meek of the earth. He goes, all you meek of the earth. And then this little phrase, who have upheld his justice. He goes, you really need to seek after righteousness and seek after humility. And he gives the perhaps. He goes, perhaps it will be that you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Now, Zephaniah was certainly prophesying to the nation of Israel in that day but he's a day of the Lord prophet. He's prophesying of the day of the Lord's wrath at the end of the age. It's the, it's the prophetic language. It's a near-far revelation. He has, he is a, uh, he's speaking with prophetic language. It has immediate implication. But it has implication at the end of the age. And then he's talking about this little group of meek people that are in the earth. He goes, you meek of the earth. He goes, and he makes this phrase, who have upheld justice. What is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's little weak intercessors who are humble, who cry out to God night and day for justice. They go, God, send justice on the earth. It's not right that children are, are in, in cages in India as, as sexual objects. It's not right, God, that uh, false religion is the fastest growing. This thing. And they walk and they sit down. And God goes, you're upholding justice. You're crying to me night and day for justice. I think it's interesting because right there in that verse, he, he addresses this little, this little band. I, I can just see this global, it's a small band, but it's a global band of humble people who have stood before the Lord and cried out and said, God, please, give us a little more time. A little more, give us some more mercy, God. Give us justice in our day. God, please. And there's this little group of humble people that he specifically addresses, that Zephaniah specifically addresses. He goes, you guys that are meek, he goes, let me tell you something. He goes, you really have to seek the Lord. He goes, you've got to seek righteousness. Because you've got to do away with all the questionable things. Because you've got to seek righteousness. Because you've got to understand what it means to be beautified in holiness before the Lord. And he goes, and I know you're meek and all that. He goes, but really, seek humility. 
I had a brother that's a pretty revelatory brother, and he emailed me, and he said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, uh, you need to be careful, bro. And I said, uh-huh. He goes, uh, there's four areas that IHOP's going to be challenged as it comes to pride. I was like, huh. And this week, and I wasn't ever actually even thinking about this word this, this brother had sent me, but this week, the Lord just, I mean, he really, I, I mean, I just carried this Zephaniah to the meek who have upheld justice, seek righteousness, seek humility. The meek who have upheld justice, seek righteousness, seek humility. I've just been meditating on it all week. God's, what he's trying to do is string together this group of people who will just be humble. He goes, stand before me. He goes, it makes no sense. It's so crazy, but it's wisdom. The wisdom of humility. He goes, it's so wise. You just sit there in that little weak place and you just cry. He goes, but just stay humble. And so I was just meditating on it. He goes, yeah, the meek that uphold justice. He goes, I'm really looking for this, this, this group, this little band of people to stand before me in their weakness and just cry out for justice. And it was happening to Rachel all week. She just kept coming back. I don't know this thing about humility. This thing about humility. I just want to admonish us. I just want to admonish us as a community. I'll tell you, it is so easy for intercessory prophetic people have a little revelation. They step right in. They get a little revelation. They get so puffed. They're sure they're right. It's so easy for us to, to step right off into that place of haughtiness and elitism. It's just so... Such a slippery slope. I'm telling you, God is looking for a global group. We are a pin. We are a pinprick on the map, a needle point. But He's looking for this global group that He calls the meek of the earth. The reward is amazing at the end of the age. He goes, yeah, yeah. After it's all done, you actually get the planet. <laughs> and we don't get this version. We get the you know upgrade. We get the total upgrade. He goes, but you know what? He goes, until then, uphold justice. He goes, he goes, and seek holiness, seek righteousness, seek the beauty of God. He goes, and seek humility. You've got to. And then he gives the promise of what we call a city of refuge. It's what the city of refuge concept is, hiddenness. It's protection in the day of the Lord's anger. In the day of judgment, there, there are these pockets of mercy. It's the Goshen principle. Plagues are raining down on Egypt and the children of Israel right there in the midst of it. None of it's happening. Darkness, actually darkness, people miss this. Darkness fills the camp of the Egyptians. They don't move for three days. They stayed in bed. It was darkness with personality. You don't get that on the little Moses movie. They stayed in bed for three days because it was so ferocious. Light didn't work. The candle didn't work. It didn't happen to the, to the Israelites. Just, just go back and read through the plagues real slowly in, in, in the book of Exodus. You'll see it. He goes, you meek. He goes, uphold justice. He goes, it may be that there's actually cities of refuge that I'm going to use. Little pockets of mercy. You'll be hidden. Powerful. All right, let's stand.
again, I just want to mention this because I say this all the time, but it, I'm, 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 I'm sharing with you in brief and in introductory ways stuff that I'm desiring that you would take to the Lord in prayer and in study and go deep on and spend a year on. <laughs> spend a year on the topic of humility and what it means at the end of the age. And then tell us what it means. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Then you can tell us the, the wisdom of meekness. Spend a year on it with prayer and fasting. So we're sharing these things so you'll take them to another, another level. And hopefully to fuel our hearts in the place of prayer. It makes so, much, so little sense naturally to stand in a little room and pray all day every day. God goes, oh no, it's so wise. It's so humble and so wise. The wisdom of humility. And he goes, you guys that are doing it, he goes, make sure you seek humility. Huh. So Lord, we just ask you right now, you reveal to our heart. Reveal to our heart this, this, this style of life, this fasted lifestyle, the mourning heart that aches for the bridegroom, that the hunger and thirst for righteousness, the hunger and thirst for beauty, you reveal to us this impoverished spirit, what it means to have a poor spirit, a heart that is, that is in recognition of its own barrenness, unto great desire, real desire for you. And Lord, I'm asking, not only reveal, but impart unto action, unto good works, like James said, that there be meekness, wise meekness in all of our activity and in the way we conduct ourselves, God, that we would be so aware that without you we have nothing. We've got nothing up on any other person. We're just trying to do what you want us to do, God. But we humble ourselves before you. We humble ourselves before you humble ourselves before you and before men. Lord, we say a blessing to every church, every body of believers, every congregation that names the name of Jesus within 50 miles there. We bless them in the name of Jesus. We pray for them, God. Use them mightily, massively in this time. Work in justice for them. Work in justice for your bride, God. Lord, our heart aches. Our heart aches with longing to know you, with great desire to know you. We have a little prayer time. Maybe just, I don't know. I don't want you to be self-condemning or introspective in any way. I and if the Spirit of the Lord is speaking something to you in this area of humility and meekness and just coming to a revelation of it in your own heart and your own activity and a recognition of what it means to be poor in spirit and have nothing humility I'm telling you it's a premium it's at a premium at the end of the age it's at a premium That whole little Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, first, that first part, it's all about the poor in spirit. It's all about meek, 
the meek that will inherit the earth. He's all about the end of the age, then it will inherit the earth. He starts Sermon on the Mount 1.0. He's be humble. He goes, recognize your barrenness. Embrace it. I believe it's a key to a fiery spirit. It's a key to a longing and desirous spirit. Is, is embracing that, that, that poverty-stricken spirit. I'm not talking about a spirit of poverty. It's different. Not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spirit. Your heart says, I'm bankrupt without the knowledge of God. I have nothing without Him. That's what I'm talking about. Reveal it, Jesus. Reveal it, God. <sighs> Reveal it. Real, real knowledge. Place an ache in our spirit for you, God. A longing heart of desire. A mourning heart for the bridegroom. If you like prayer, a deeper revelation of meekness in any way, or for anything at all, you can just step out from where you're standing, come to the front. We'll pray for you. Just ask God to encounter you.